This is a sex pot comedy production. Spring break. They're Woo-hoo! not going to listen to this on spring break, though. Oh, well then, I hope you had a great spring break. Unless it's a school, like, in another uh, state. When do other people do spring break? I think most are in March. Oh, okay. Well, they'll probably listen to this. Well, hey, maybe happy Easter, or hope you had a good Easter, Easter if that's and something that you do. Easter and April Fool's Day are the same day this year. I love that. I know. I actually think it's kind of amazing. Um, I just think there should be a lot of people dying uh, raw eggs, and <laughs> that would make children sad. And, <laughs> and I would be happy. Clap my hands and laugh. <laughs> oh, my God. So, hey, um, tweet at us your favorite Easter prank. Speaking of eggs, <laughs> West Egg and East Egg. We are traveling to Long Island to the. That was a good. That was a good was connection. That a good segue? Yes. Well, I had to jump on that because I was like, I just read a description of eggs recently. When did I? Oh, in Gatsby. Oh, that's right. That's the name of the Long Island towns. Well, because he's describing the East Egg and West Egg, and he's like, it's a pair of twin eggs. So I took me forever to like, is it a flat egg or are they very tall islands that are like <laughs> mountainy and somebody lives on the top of them? But that's not geography that exists on Long Gatsby's Island Sound. Gatsby's house is on top of one and Daisy's house is on top of the other. And everybody like slides over the side yes. and they're slightly rounded. <laughs> um, no, but we read F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Which is a lot of people's favorite book like ever. Yes. I feel, and some people really hate it. Some people loathe it. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. Uh, my husband, Jeff, does not care for Fitzgerald. Really? Yeah, he's like, oh, I like Hemingway way more. And I was hmm. like, but Fitzgerald is so fancy and pretentious. How he can is. you not love it's that? So, it's so delightful. It's he just <laughs> He's just like an early American Oscar Wilde. I feel like those Oscar Wilde and F. Scott probably would have gotten along That's pretty fucking well. That's a good comparison. Well. I agree. Um, but yeah, I've read, well, I read Tender is the Night. I've read so I've read a couple of his other ones, but Gatsby I've read the most, of hmm. course, for well, sure. And this was my first go at Gatsby. Uh, like I said at the end of the last episode, I read a bunch I know, of uh, that short stories um, that I'd liked, but they were all bite sized um, and a little bit like cold. And I guess Gatsby's a little cold too as a book, mm-hmm. but I was okay with that. It is. He dresses it up in all the glitz and glamour of the jazz age, but underneath, it's a little icy. A lot like uh, us. I'm Jessica Austin. <laughs> and I'm Lauren Ballman. This is Required Readcast, and we're talking about The Great Gatsby. <laughs> we're icy underneath all this exciting dressing. All these sweatshirts. There's just nothing but <laughs> ice-cold hearts buried there. Uh, but ice-cold hearts that love books. Um, so there's something. Hey, did you get an official summary for Gatsby? I did. Good, because I got one for uh, the next book we're discussing, but I didn't do one for the Gats. Well, you know, I found a couple, but I actually really like what's on the back of our book, so I'll just read that. The Great Gatsby, F. F. Scott Fitzgerald's third book, stands as the supreme achievement of his career. This exemplary novel of the jazz age has been acclaimed by generations of readers. The story of the fabulously wealthy Jay Gatsby and his love for the beautiful Daisy Buchanan, of lavish parties on Long Island at a time when the New York Times noted gin was the national drink and sex the national obsession, it is an exquisitely crafted tale of America in the 1920s. Uh, My tweet-length summary is, Awful socialites are apathetic and drive drunk. (laughs) Mine, um, I have two, both song lyrics. Um, <laughs> Are any of them Radiohead songs? No. Okay. No. Uh, the first is, you know it's true, everything I do, I do it for Daisy. <laughs> and then my second one, from watching the Baz Luhrmann movie, um, I'll just pull from Jay-Z and say, I've got 99 problems, but a bitch is one. <laughs> um, they use a lot of Jay-Z in that movie. They do. But... <laughs> yes, pretty iconic story. I feel like the essential meat of the story is something a lot of people know. It's a pretty well-known book. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody had to read it, and this is like one of the quintessential book lover shirts they sell at like Barnes and Noble or online. You're like, you want a shirt? Here's the Great Gatsby with those two eyes, right, like, right there. Well, everyone did have to read it, but you dodged it. Somehow. How did I dodge that bullet? I don't know. I had to read it for the first time in high school. It was part of our um, AP curriculum. So I think that was like junior year. 
Well, as I mentioned, I dropped out of AP because of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. <laughs> so I did not venture down the Great Gatsby path. I was in stupid literature. So what did we have to read there? I don't know. Comic books? Uh, stupid literature. Books like 101. Brown. <laughs> what did they give me in high school for the normal people? Here, um, take this Babysitter's Club series. This is great. Uh, but, yeah, so this is my first time wading through it, and I loved it. I'm uh, so glad. Yeah, I. it's not the narrative. It's not an epic, sweeping story. It almost no, sits no. in one place. And it's almost an afterthought. Like, Nick says that at some point in the book. Um, Nick Carraway, our narrator, for those of you who haven't read the book, but I feel like most of you have. Yes. Um, and I'm the newbie here. So he even says, like, he's like, it seems like I'm obsessed with this whole Gatsby thing. He's like, no, I, a ton of other stuff is going on. I'm just talking about this. Mm-hmm. So I like the way he's casually just sort of talking about this sidebar of his life that summer. Yeah. That ended up making a humongous impact, but started out, uh, you know, fairly as an afterthought. Like, hey, my neighbor's rich. Okay. I guess that's another short summary. This was How I Spent My Summer by Nick Carraway. It didn't go well. His 30th birthday was particularly terrible. Oh, poor We'll get there. God. Yeah, one thing I've always liked about it, even though it's tragically sad, is I feel like this is not, it is and it isn't your... um, quintessential requited love story it is in that Gatsby still is he he created this whole life for Daisy he still carries the hope that they're going to end up together etc etc but usually in a book like that they do or the woman or whoever the other person is ends up coming around and they end up finding their way back to each other this doesn't end that way and in fact I feel like Daisy ultimately never wanted that and doesn't really want it. No, she and does that's different. Like usually the the story is told and it's both of them wanting to get back to each other, but this time it's it's so sad in how he's spent the past 5 years of his life all for her. And she's just so superficial. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, she just kind of likes his attention for attention. She loves money more. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if she loves money more. Uh, wait, I want to s- just stop for a sec. So anybody who's catching back up um, or hasn't read the book. Yes. So we start out. basic plot lines. Yes. <laughs> so our narrator, Nick Carraway, um, is heading out to New York, out east, he calls it, because he's from the Middle West. Yes. Uh, which is Ohio, but at some point, the Middle West is also San Francisco in this book. Yeah, the, the F. Scott Fitzgerald, your geography, mm, no eh, offense, but... I don't but think San Francisco's middle. Early America. <laughs> so if you weren't in New York, like, the rest was just the Middle West. <laughs> I actually 100% think that's what it I was. I think that maybe is how they felt in mm-hmm. the 20s, like, oh, well, everywhere else is just nothing. Um, yeah, so he moves to uh, West Egg for the summer. He is going to start learning how to become a bondsman. In New York City, so he takes a, ta- a house in a commuter town yes. with some dude, but then the dude backs out, so Nick's living in like this rental house in West Egg all summer. And his next-door neighbor has a humongous house and is named... Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was so glitzy and glamorous that, you know, he's living next door to this huge mansion, and the way he kind of describes how the houses on either side of him are amazing. So... You've got this idea, like, of Gatsby's glitz, and then they're talking about how East Egg looks down on West Egg. Right! Like, old money and nouveau riche. I was like, that's... Yes. This is a period of time where that old money, new money thing is a huge deal. And I don't um, think Fitzgerald ever comes out and says it like that, but he just implies so hard. He's never mm-hmm. cut and dry. He just expects us to smell the difference. And just that thought of... Because Gatsby has now and we'll get there of how he has achieved all this, but he has achieved an immense amount, and he has wealth beyond measure, and the idea that that is still not enough because he wasn't born into it and it wasn't his family money is very depressing. Well, it took me me a second to um, figure out if he owned the house or not because Nick was renting his, and Nick was talking about some of the other houses in West Egg, what they would rent for for the summer, and I was just remembering, like, kind of the thing now for rich people is to rent a house in the Hamptons mm-hmm. for the summer. So I was like, oh, maybe Gatsby's nouveau riche and has enough money to rent it for the summer. No, he fucking owns it. That's he his built house. it. Yeah. He, right, I mean, he fucking built it, right? Mm-hmm. 
all and I feel like everything was you know for her everything was for her that he made everything so that he could sit across the bay and watch Daisy because lucky coincidence she shocker um directly across the bay is the infamous green light Mm -hmm. that he can see which is on the end of the dock of Tom and Daisy Buchanan's house yep uh and so Gatsby yeah moved across the bay but didn't approach her no, he has never once contacted her. No. Um, to his knowledge, she does not know that he is there. Um, and then coincid- another, another happy coincidence, Nick Carraway uh, just so happens to be her cousin. I, what a crazy random happenstance. <laughs> so, yeah, and so cousin Nick moves in. I find it so unbelievable that she doesn't know the name of the man who owns the giant house across the bay. He, it's true. I, I do feel like because of how in their business it seems like East and West Egg are and how um, almost com- the competitive nature of it, you would think that everybody would know that that's Gatsby's house. Mm-hmm. Well, because everybody see Jordan Baker talks about it. Yeah, and Jordan, uh, Jordan is the female golfer who's sort of Nick's love interest in the most peripheral way. Yeah, in the, hey, we're going to try to make this happen, I guess, but I, they're ni- neither of them are really that into it. No, they're like, well, we're two single people, so I guess I guess we'll sort of be paired I up. I Jordan, but we'll get there. Jordan's great. Jordan's um, great. I need, a second, I need a second book that's just all about Jordan. She should go have her some life adventures. And travels. Yeah. I want to know about all her shenanigans she got up to cheating at golf. Because <laughs> I feel like Jordan Baker <laughs> just is the biggest golf cheater. Yeah. I love what a giant liar she is. I know. She is. But you're right. That is an interesting little piece that in all of this time, Daisy's never recognized that that's Gatsby's house. Right? Or they're never like, oh, there's giant parties and the lights are on all fucking night. Why don't we ask who's throwing these parties? Because when Jordan mentions Gatsby at Daisy and Tom's to Nick, like, Daisy immediately, like, shoots pulled up, right? Which Gatsby? Yes. Like, she, like that the, name, clearly, she has a very strong connection to. You're, so you're right. Yeah, I'm surprised that it never came up. Yeah. And it wasn't disingenuous. I feel like a lot of stuff Daisy and Tom do is disingenuous. Right. Faking. I mean, the only way I can write it off, I guess, is that she, they are so incredibly self-involved yeah. and drunk most of the time, and she just had a baby somehow. Um, I feel like that baby's three, though. Well, the baby is a toddler. What the hell? Why do people... Actually, yes, and the baby can talk. So it's I don't. It's like a precocious fucking baby, and that's creepy. Talking babies, no. <laughs> no, but I guess that's the only way I can kind of explain away her not knowing is that she's just so self-involved in her own life but it is kind of strange but that's also her key characteristic is that she's so self everybody's self-involved in this book oh yeah who's not like nick claims that he's not but i feel like nick gets wrapped up into it pretty easily Mm -hmm. like he he doesn't have he he's an interesting narrator he has that whole um that he's within and without and it's i think it's a really great perspective that F. Scott Fitzgerald chose to write from, to write from his character of this person who he's on the inside and yet he's still our narrator looking in on the story trying to describe it. It's, um, I like that. I really like that about Nick. I feel like he he has his own internal moral debates mm-hmm. about things and we get to witness them. Um, he's not just a totally stoic narrator like well I think there's a little bit of the unreliable narrator in Nick too like true he's like I'm the only honest man I've ever met (laughs) he walks that back a little later in the book with Jordan but I'm like I don't think you're all that honest like no offense Nick but he contradicts himself a little bit about like how he feels about Gatsby you know his first time he mentions Gatsby the guy who lent his name to the title of this book Nick's like Gatsby represented everything that I had unaffected scorn for uh, but he still liked Gatsby and then later he just Still said something else shitty about Gatsby that contradicted that. So I don't feel like Nick is 100% on the level, even though he thinks that he is. And I think that there is a little bit of contradiction for him, too, in that he is, he's an artist, essentially. He's this writer who's trying to, maybe he's seeing in Gatsby what it means to sort of create this phony exterior life for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, if he's going to get involved in the world of bonds and the stock market, like, what that's going to turn him into essentially and I think he's got his struggles of that like is that a life he really wants or not 
Yeah, because he doesn't like his work at all. I right. mean, he doesn't. He barely mentions it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like though that uh, when Gatsby sort of threw him a bone as far as, "Hey, I could hook you up with some business." Nick's like, "No, <laughs> no, I'm cool. I'm good." <laughs> because that guy you're hanging out with seems real shady. Real shady. <laughs> um, so, can can Nick count as enough of a fair character to be a favorite or least favorite character, or is he sort of a non entity? I think he still can. Because who's is your, he favorite your favorite character? I don't. <laughs> All right. I don't know if Nick's my favorite. I think I like Gatsby. I do too. I was going to say it's going to sound cliche to say, but I I feel like he's, there's a lot to um, love about him and be sympathetic to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I love Jordan too. Jordan's like probably my second choice. Well, she's just sort of like a just stone cold a bitch. Mystery, and she's like the new woman mm-hmm. in the twenties, which basically means she's sassy and talks back and, and had a, and wears short pants. haircut. <laughs> yeah. Has short hair and wears pants. Um, um, I do love that she golfs. Yes. Jordan professional golfer. Look at her go. No, but I think, but Gatsby is, he really is. It's not hyperbole that he's a really well-drawn mm-hmm. character. Like, he, he, there's a reason he's an iconic character. Well, and he's mysterious, but he's not nefarious. Like, he didn't do any of this. He didn't, like, kill that man no. to take his boat. Like, no. he just... He, and he didn't get any money out of it. Like, no. he wasn't manipulative. He wasn't always straightforward about who he was, but it wasn't a great tapestry of lies. Like, he legit did all those things. Mm-hmm. And again, the whole motivation is to become this quote-unquote, better man and to have money so that he can get Daisy back. How the fuck did he make that much money in five years? I don't know. I mean, shitloads of money. <laughs> it's not like, I mean, I'm sorry, but if the person, like if somebody loved you or I, or we loved somebody and we're like, we're going to go earn our fortunes and build a life for you person that we love, I feel like the best I could scrape together is like a condo in <laughs> the suburb of Denver. I could buy a condo in Wheat Ridge. No, um... How the crap in five years did Gatsby build a lavish mansion and have enough funds to just throw away on hydroplanes and fancy cars and parties all the time and all the booze? I mean, they make that comment of how this guy, what was it, Wolfsheim? Is that his last name? Uh, Yeah, Meyer Wolfsheim. Wolfsheim. How he fixed the 1919 World Series. So, I mean, my only guess is, is that this guy is real well connected with finding things that are lucrative and not exactly so much on the up and up. And I don't know, I don't know nearly enough about the stock market and how that all operated, but maybe it was early and maybe he got in on it early enough that he was able to tap into just a shitload of money. I don't know. Yeah. But he definitely had, he had to earn it all. He didn't have, nothing was his. No, he earned everything and he mm-hmm. earned a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, uh, talking about our, our guy Wolfsheim though, you open <sighs> up. This book, you know, it was written in the 1920s. And so all the racism and anti-Semitism gives us pause. But man, Fitzgerald sort of pecks at Wolfsheim. And oh yeah. pecks at any other Jewish character in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like Fitzgerald on his side is still poking at him, but I don't feel like Fitzgerald is anti-Semitic or racist. No. Any more than anyone else was in that period. Right. Because what he said, like he's, um, uh, some black folks drove by, drove by in a car and uh, Fitzgerald used the the lesser offensive of the N-words. <laughs> we were like, you still don't <sighs> like to read it. Right, or some of the things Tom says. Mm-hmm. My I God. mean. Tom, Tom. Tom is a straight Tom is racist. a f- fucking Nazi. Like, yeah. Uh, no, World War II is coming along in about 15, 20 years, and Tom's on board with Hitler. Tom is extreme. What a piece of shit. Um, no, but you're right. He he does kind of tread that line of saying some things where you're like, hmm. Yeah. But it was New York in the 20s. New, it was about 100 years ago. I mean, I guess it's 2018, and this was 1922. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, really, a hundred yeah. years ago, give or le- give or take four years. I think it was published in twenty five, right? Yeah, okay. nineteen twenty five. So yeah, I mean, a, a good amount of distance, but the fact that I still feel connected and close to this book, and then I stumble on a slightly anti-Semitic uh, description, you're like, <laughs> "Fuck my Ouch. life!" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that does bring a question of we will attack at the end is why did we read this book? Yes, I know. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I mean, exactly what we're talking about with Kill a, To Kill a Mockingbird. Those. Mm-hmm. 
phrases are meant to make you uncomfortable. Those words are meant to make you uncomfortable, so we shouldn't not read it. But I was like, man, if I were a kid of Jewish descent whipping through this book and I was just reading these slurs by the narrator that Mm -hmm. weren't even... uh, It definitely takes on an uncomfortable tinge. And I wonder how much this one is read now. I feel like I don't... I mean, I was telling you, and we'll talk a minute about my friend who's a teacher, but... um, I'm always interested in, like, how much how much the lists have changed maybe since we were in school. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this one would endure. I would think so. Yeah, I feel like this one is going to stick around. It has been required, and I think it'll continue to be required. Yeah. So, okay, we talked about... For me, Nick is sort of a non-character. Like, Gatsby's my favorite. I like Gatsby. I like Jordan because she's sassy. Mm-hmm. Nick's sort of beige. Like, all right, I don't really have a huge opinion on Nick. Yeah, we don't get to learn a lot about him Mm-mm. as his own person. You get little tidbits here and there, but you, but they kind of keep that a little, that little bit of distance. Well, and his emotions are all like, I was astonished by this, or I was a little <laughs> put off. He doesn't have any sort of active emotions. He's just sort of reacting to everybody mm-hmm. in the story. But everybody in the story, besides Gatsby, is kind of a worthless piece of shit. Yeah, they're kind of all terrible people. So Tom, I think Tom, who's the worst? Oh, t- yeah, I, mm. Tom? I mean, ultimately Tom, I think. Daisy's pretty bad, but so is Myrtle. Myrtle's pretty bad. The least, the least worst is poor George Wilson. Yeah, he didn't do anything except pump some gas. Yeah, and, and then accidentally kill Gatsby. Well, he killed him well, on purpose, but... Well, that's Tom's fault, too. Yeah. I think Tom's the worst. Tom's the fucking worst. Yes, yeah, he's an asshole. I mean, his description is straight-up Aryan. Oh, yeah. And he's walking around tossing off, like, eugenics ideas about Nordic people, and you're like, okay, hi there, wow. baby okay, Nazi. Tom. I actually do think that is one thing I will say about the Baz Luhrmann movie. The guy that... And I don't know his name off the top of my head. The guy who plays Tom is perfect (laughs) this actor is exactly how I picture Tom Buchanan um yeah and he swept in you know so they they do end up talking about how uh Gatsby and Daisy met when she was still in Louisville Kentucky and young debutante um the golden girl of the community um they met each other fell in love he had to go off to war and while he was gone, Tom swept in yep. pretty soon after. With his bluster and his money. And his money and um, married her. But Daisy didn't know Gatsby didn't have any money. No, he put he was putting on illusions even then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he was stationed there, right? That Yeah, because he's from, he's from the other Midwest, North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> that other, uh, not even the Midwest, the Middle West. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the mi- middle, everything that's not New York or Long Island is the Middle West. Get it together, Lauren. Uh, so yeah, so he, I mean, from the, he from the start, even to just get a date with her, had to be putting up an illusion that he was from a wealthier background than he was. Well, talking about illusions from the start, like when he was, he met the old man with the boat. What's that guy's name? Dave something? Yeah. Uh, the book's right Sorry, there. Dave. I didn't write your name down. Sorry, Dave. Uh, old man, uh, old Dave, man, Dave Boatman. Old old man Boatman. His name was Mr. Dave Boatman. <laughs> Mr. Dave Boatman. Gatsby, uh, Gatsby lied to him. He was James Gats, and then when he met the man, they were like rowing out to his boat or whatever. And, Ga- and Nick's like, that's when Gatsby's new name came into play. So mm-hmm. you know he's been a liar, but they're just harmless. Yeah. I guess this might be the time to talk about I. I was telling Jess that I noticed this time, it was something I hadn't really thought about before. I'm a huge fan of Mad Men. Um, and in some ways, I feel like Don Draper's trajectory and story sort of mirrors Gatsby a little bit. Um, just in that interesting parallel of becoming somebody else and taking on a new identity to improve your station as you were. And Don Draper was in the Army, too. And... Uh, he was somebody else, and then a man named Don Draper died, and he assumed his identity. Now, he didn't do it for a woman like Gatsby does, but I don't know. I was just thinking a lot about that. So anyways, if you like Mad Men, let me know what you think. <laughs> am I way off here, or am I totally? Um, there's a little bit of that story in there, too. Well, I think anybody who pursues a new identity with without like a malicious purpose, I, 
I'm kind of a little bit on their side. Like, it's America, and the idea is that you, you, in New York, you can be a new man. In America, you're a self-made man. So if Gatsby doesn't want to be up front with his background, does he have to be? Right. Because he's not hurting anybody. But there is still something dishonest about it. But do you really, do we need to be honest about our past if we don't want to be? We could never, that's, I feel like it's something you could never get away with now. Yeah, um, well. In the age, in our technological age. No, everything has but a But back then, yeah. Well, and there is something a little, even just a little dishonest about the American dream, quote unquote, and becoming who you want to be, but we're still going to look down on you if you're new money. Yeah, because everybody, they look down on Gatsby. Well, and then the people that Gatsby hangs out with. So I love that he starts away from Gatsby. We see Nick go to a party uh, in East Day with the Buchanans, mm-hmm. and we talk a little bit about Gatsby. We see Nick at Gatsby's party before he realizes Gatsby's Gatsby. And the people he's hanging out with have this, like, glamorous patina, like, a little bit around mm-hmm. to us. We're like, ooh, Broadway stars, chorus girls, entertainers. That's so cool. Right. And then... Artists, you know, sort of cutting edge bohemians, and then you're like, oh, in East Egg, that's those people are trash. Yeah, like they're those are the people. For, you know, the Wild Party. Yes, those are the people like who would have been hanging out in the Wild Party party, mm-hmm. and they seem fun and glamorous to us now, looking back. And then you put them next to people with real money, and you're like, oh, those are the, the crazy party kids, the grubby theater kids. And you look at even that element of it as something that. Because Daisy, Daisy makes a reference to that later on when, when they're at a party later at his mm-hmm. house. And she's, she's talking about how she loves being surrounded by these interesting people. So I feel like he even constructed the environment of who he brought to his house in the hopes that someday if she was ever there, she would see like that he became friends with all of the types of people that she likes. That's, it, it feels like it goes that deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, it's not even till it's like 30 or 40 pages into the book before you actually meet Gatsby. And I love the way we meet him. Oh, God, right. How Nick just starts talking to him and he's, he's like, oh, I got this invitation, this Gatsby guy. I haven't even met him yet. And it's like, oh, that's me, old sport. I do. And I also love that Gatsby's like, I got a hydroplane. You want to go ride <laughs> a hydroplane? Hey, I just met you. Want to get <laughs> I just met you. This is and this crazy. is crazy. But I've got a hydroplane. Do you know Daisy? <laughs> Yeah, welcome. Yeah, Lauren Bauman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Lauren motherfucking Bauman. Oh, uh, let's wait. I want to finish oh, talking about characters before we talk about our favorite parts. I agree. Um, because okay, Tom. Well, let's a talk piece about the Wilsons for a second. Yep. And oh. this whole extra affair. So Tom is having an affair because duh. Like, are we very surprised? Because Tom's but, had a ton of affairs. Right. But what's interesting is he is he is in an affair to the extreme with this woman named Myrtle Wilson who lives what's the name of it again? The not City of Ashes. The in-between town where they live. Mm-hmm. That's between like if you're taking the train from east, east to west egg, there's this shitty town in the middle where all the coal mining happens. Yeah, and on the way to ashes New York. everywhere and it's gross. And um, that's where the Wilsons live and they have a gas station. Um, and Tom has clearly been carrying on an affair with her for some time. Like, we see in that first scene where Nick goes to their house, um, phone calls keep coming in during dinner. And everybody and knows it. Tom's Jordan's really like, agitated, and they're all like, clearly, this is, you know. Jordan's like, he's got a girl in the city. Yeah, that's like one of the first things she tells Nick. And Daisy knows. Yes. Daisy's sitting there being pissed. But I find it really interesting that this is the woman, like, what does that say about Tom, that he's choosing... Tom has all the money in the world, and he could, if he, if he wants to have an affair, like he could be putting up some fancy lady in a, in a flat some, somewhere, like Broadway chorus girl, right? But instead, he's got, and he still has a flat in the city mm-hmm. for her. But instead, he's chosen this like, real like working class, thick sort of like there was something very just grounded and heavy set. Like I don't right. think she's fat, but no. she seems. Thick, workmanlike. She's not just some young thing Mm-mm. that Nick, that Nick, um, that Tom, like, that you would think he would gravitate towards. It's yeah. just interesting to me that this is the woman he's having this like mm-hmm. longer affair with, and she talks about oh, when he goes, when he goes to see her, he oh, there's the whole scene where he's with Nick, and they oh, let's just stop here for a minute, and yeah. then like leaves poor Nick alone with Mr. Wilson while they go bang upstairs. 
Okay, George Wilson, I feel bad for you. But come on. But come on. How dumb are you, sir? You're the dumbest. And also, when he does finally sniff an affair at the end of the book, (coughs) he doesn't think of Tom, the handsome man that always kind of drives through my gas station and disappears with my wife for a bit. Yeah, and then leaves his car outside and then is gone for like 10 minutes. That's crazy. really loud jazz music is coming from upstairs. (laughs) Why is the phonograph on again? Hey, why do you always bring your own saxophone player? No, but you're right. Like, that is kind of a big surprise. Well, that's the end. But anyway, um, so yeah, Tom's been carrying on this affair for a while, and he's got this flat that he takes Myrtle to. Yeah. Because that's the other thing, too. Like, Myrtle just leaves all the time. George doesn't. Yeah, she's going to visit her sister in the city, like, for a week. <laughs> right. And then comes back with a busted nose. And her sister kind of sucks, too, because her sister knew exactly what was going on, and oh, her she, couldn't have, she couldn't have told George after Myrtle died, the like, hey. hey, I know who it was. Right? She's complicit in this, too. She's complicit. She's saving her own ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just, b- both Myrtle and her sister are both sort of like tacky, just, pushy. Yeah, just kind of shitty women. Then, oh, God. Oh, I hate Myrtle. Myrtle's my least favorite character. I hate her so much and think she, I would love to see have seen fucking Daisy back that car up and run her ass <laughs> over again because she's such a goddamn cunt. Anyway, I have thoughts about Myrtle. But both she and her sister are materialistic, hard-edged, ugly, grasping women. Like, the description of the sister's face from Nick about her eyebrows. Like, Ooh, yeah. They're both so gauche and fake and... And then I'm concerned the whole time that Myrtle's going to do something dumb and hurt the dog. She didn't deserve that dog. No, she did not. What happened to the dog? I don't know. So she gets, the, they stop along the side of their, on, on of a course, train. like the thing that Jess and I would be we're, sad about. We're looking at Archer just being adorable. Lauren's dog is sitting there just chewing on his little paw, being adorable. <laughs> Living his life. Just having a good time. And he doesn't need to get adopted by a bitch like Myrtle Wilson. No. No. Yeah, all she wanted was some damn dog, just... Because. They were on the train, and they saw somebody selling puppies. And Myrtle's like, get me a puppy, George. Not George, that's her husband. Get me a puppy, Tom. And Tom, like, blusters over there and is an asshole to the dog man. Part of me worried just that, like... assholes to everyone. just assholes to everyone. <laughs> There's walking around being assholes, buying dogs they don't deserve. <laughs> being like, she's like, Myrtle goes, I want one of them police dogs. Shut up, Myrtle. What are you going to do with a fucking police dog? Are you a police? <laughs> no. I'm Myrtle. I'm a police. <laughs> I'm a police. <laughs> That's not... She doesn't need a police. So she gets an Airedale, maybe. Yeah. She has this little terrier. And uh, then they're partying in the city, in the flat. It's Tom and Myrtle, and then poor Nick. And and then they invite the sister over. And then there's, like, a photographer neighbor from downstairs who just wants to take this picture. And Tom and Myrtle just can't stop fucking. They can't stop fucking. And leaving Nick and poor Nick and... Out there with Catherine. Oh, I've been there. I've been in Nick's shoes so many oh, times. Oh, man. And then that's when he's like, I'm getting drunk. Yeah, where Nick gets drunk. For the second time in his life. Second time in his life. But uh, Lauren and I were talking this yeah. slightly before the pod. Just like, so Nick says he was drunk twice in his life. Um, but he keeps getting tipsy on champagne throughout the book. Mm-hmm. So there's like a big distinction of champagne tipsy and like hard alcohol. Drunk. Drunk. Yeah. Because I then, feel like and, Nick's losing some time. And we are still dealing with, yeah, we're dealing with prohibition right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Gatsby was accused of being a bootlegger. Right. So, but I agree that was a little funny to me because they are literally drinking alcohol throughout this entire book. But then that moment where Nick's like, I've only been drunk twice in my life. And once is this time. I'm like, really, Nick? Or unreliable narrator. True. Nick, are you drunk just constantly? And you're trying to make yourself look better? Mm-hmm. Who are you trying to impress, Nick? Mm-hmm. Me? Oh, Gatsby, that's right. The ghost of Gatsby. But yeah, so they get wasted together in this awkward foursome. And um, then Tom's like, so don't tell my wife, okay? Okay. And, and then Myrtle's like, I'm going to tell your wife. And then he just punches her in the oh face. Oh, my God. He breaks. Tom breaks Myrtle's nose. Just bam. Just straight up breaks her nose because she's yelling, Daisy, Daisy. All you talk about is Daisy. Yeah, don't don't say her name. Don't say her name. And she's like, I'll say your name if I want. Da- Boof. Hop. And Broke. then Jessica lost her mind. And then I cheered and I did a dance and I was like, can we get that fucking on a, re- a repeat? But yes, the moral of the story is Tom, is, Tom Buchanan is a violent man. <laughs> and, 
And Myrtle doesn't have a problem with that because she keeps fucking him. Yeah. And then, then she returns from the city with a swollen face and broken nose. How did that, she explain that away? Right? Because her husband mentions it towards the end of the book after she's dead. He's like, whoa, that happened. So that was weird. That was weird. Maybe you want to look into that? Yeah, I think uh, George Wilson gets to share a little bit of the blame. I feel sorry for him and all, but... He's he could just, have been a little bit more observant. <laughs> he's just this little milk toast man who does nothing. Yes. Very much. So we're coming to the point um, where we find out all along why Gatsby's kind of been eyeing Nick. Um, he does know that there's that familial connection. And um, they're, when they're at that party at his house, the night he meets him for the first time, Gatsby at one point uh, says he wants to speak to Jordan alone. And he talks to her, and then that's how Nick finds out that he's in love with Daisy, and um, they want to find a way to have Nick talk to her and invite her over for tea under so that he can see her, and it's just this whole big constructed thing so that Gatsby can reunite with Daisy. Then the way that Gatsby goes about it is so sweet and shy and unnecessary, like... Tom Tom doesn't know he exists. Like, if he were to bump into Daisy in town or, like, on the street and say hello, like, there would be no, that's like, oh, that's your ex-boyfriend issue on Tom's side. But he just is almost, like, afraid of her. Like, I feel like he's inviting, having those big, loud parties so that she notices him. He's like, Mm. I'm going to stand on this side of the bay and scream as loud as I can until you notice me. There is. Maybe that's part of what makes me love him so much is there's this very real vulnerability to him that I don't think you, you especially didn't really see written into a male character the way that it is. No. Male characters were like Tom. They were big, right. virile, violent men who weren't afraid to reach out and grab what they wanted. And his love for her is so strong and so deep that he will literally construct his life any way he needs to. Yeah, well... You know, like we've said, the money and the house aren't the goal. The goal is Daisy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he sees her and he's like, if I get that thing, if I get that person, then my life is complete. Like right. He, I mean, if you look at Gatsby, he has everything you could mm-hmm. want. And then some. And then some. He is, his cup overflowing. There's this little moment in the scene where they, where she comes over for tea that the description after... Nick has left the room and Gatsby and Daisy have spent some time just talking to each other privately. And um, he writes, but there was a change in Gatsby that was simply confounding. He literally glowed. Without a word or a gesture of exultation, a new well-being radiated from him and filled the little room. So just knowing that it shows that he was, for a brief moment, it seems like he was complete, like after seeing her again for all of that time. And I just thought that I love the way he wrote that. Yeah, and then Nick left the room, and they had managed to make a connection because he mm-hmm. went from super nervous Gatsby. Yes, which is the cutest oh, thing. God. It's just, just so cute. No, just the way how nervous he is to see her, and then he leaves and walks back out in the rain and glares at Nick when like Nick opens yeah. the door. And Nick's like, you're, you're acting like a little boy. Get in here. Get in. Knock it off. <laughs> I had... um. Once in the kind of that same moment when um, later when Daisy goes over to their house, I just had this uh, little bit. Um, he's always showing her around, and Fitzgerald writes, "His bedroom was the simplest room of all, except where the dresser was garnished with a toilet set of pure dull gold." And I read that a couple times, still thinking it said toilet seat, and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, okay, Gatsby's rich. He's a gold toilet seat. That's weird." Then it's I was just like, on display, but it's on his dresser, and I was like, "Why the fuck?" Does he have a toilet seat on his dresser? And it took me like a good three to four times reading that paragraph to go, that is not what that word was. And it's a toilet set. And he, that's when he, uh, he takes her right next door. Because it's all of a sudden like, oh, they're checking out the view from Nick's porch. It's like, yo, you can see my house from here. How weird. And he's like, well, if you think that's weird, I live next door. That giant house you see that blocks out the view of anything else? Oh, that's my house. That's my house. That makes your house look like a piece of shit. I know. So they take her over there and show her the house and then there's the infamous shirt scene. Um, Oh, the shirt scene. Um, I don't, I think my favorite part's when Myrtle gets just decked in the face because fuck her. But the shirt, the shirt scene 
when Gatsby's showing Daisy around and just starts to show her all the nice shirts that he has. And then there's a pile of on the be- on the bed and she's like, they're such lovely shirts. And he's just throwing them and it's decadent and there's silk shirts flying everywhere. Sh- and some linen ones. Nothing, nothing sexier than just chucking shirts around. There's this really, um, so <laughs> uh, this is the good time to tell it. So I have a friend um, in Arizona who teaches high school English and she's um, been teaching for quite some time and this was this is her favorite one of her favorite novels and so she taught this for a really long time to her classes she said she has it the past couple years just because of curriculum changes but she told me this story um I was really hoping to get you a book report sorry oh that's all right she told me this story (laughs) about the shirt part so she said the last time I taught this we got to the part in chapter five where Gatsby takes out his shirts and starts throwing them at Daisy and Nick causing Daisy to cry and say she's never seen such beautiful shirts. One of my students said you know when I want to impress a girl I invite her over and throw all five of my t-shirts at her. (laughs) The entire class erupted into laughter and we couldn't finish the chapter because we couldn't breathe. Um, I just pictured this like wiry like teenager being like, yeah, I'm just chucking t-shirts at some Ooh, girl. <laughs> I got that when I went to see bare naked ladies. Uh, <laughs> they might be giants. I was thinking of all the boys I knew in high school. Counting crows. Um, Dave but, Matthews band in your face. Oh man, three Dave Matthews band shirts. Uh, but all the decadence and there's a really funny, there's a family guy episode where they, uh, they make fun of that part, and I enjoy it very much. Um, well, we couldn't even find, we couldn't really find The Simpsons Gatsby. No, which was surprising. There's a newer episode called The Great Fatsby. Which, P8, uh, with a PH. That's like in season 29, and I... It doesn't count anymore. It doesn't. Um, which sounds just like it's a title poll. Neither of us watched it. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was an episode where Homer got really drunk, um, and was seeing people in fancy, like, New Yorker-style, uh... New Yorker style haze of drunkenness, but I feel like that was more like New York in general reference, not um, not Gatsby. Right. But that Family Guy Gatsby episode that you showed me was funny. Yeah, that's a good one. They they did a whole uh, author episode and they did three different books and one well, of them. Was and I think Gatsby. the whole Brian in love with Lois matched up the whole Gatsby. Makes sense. And uh, and Peter's a great fucking Tom. <laughs> Because so, he's just an asshole who punches people. Exactly. So it works. It works out perfectly. Um, there's also been, I mean, we may as well talk about other adaptations since we're kind of mm-hmm. on the topic. Um, I know our Vatage Center did the play of just a few years ago. Yeah, there's a script version, which has never, I, I haven't seen it take off. Yeah, and it was the regional premiere here, so I don't think. And then, then of course, there's the film. Um, and I was telling Jessica, like, I know that I know you all expected me to go bonkers because it's Baz Luhrmann and Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. But if you haven't seen that adaptation, they begin the movie framing it that Nick is writing all of this from a sanitarium. Disagree. And I don't like that. Um, And it just kind of brings me to I don't I feel like this is just one of those books that it's really hard to translate it into any other medium because of the way F. Scott Fitzgerald writes. I feel like he is an almost poetic writer. Mm-hmm. He's very lyrical nature. Um, I think the having the character of the narrator, it's problematic to try to translate that into an adaptation. I don't know. How do you feel about no, it? No, I think any, for, any first-person adaptation is hard. Like, we did Kill a Mockingbird, you know, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And that, when that hits the stage, there's always a narrator scout. Right. It's hard to do some from a first person narrator uh past tense now there was have you ever heard of um gats gats yeah Yeah. i just pulled it up on my it's a blank screen yeah (laughs) so they did this play version it was a theater company in new york elevator repair service yes did you see it i did not it was after i was there um it ended up being about an eight hour running time per performance because it turned into it's like this it's this company of actors that it was like set in an office setting and I think it was supposed to be as if like a machine broke down and they were all really bored and one of the workers picks up a copy of The Great Gatsby and just starts reading it out loud and they read the entirety of the book out loud and that's the performance I love it I would I would sit through that but I was reading this really great review of it um that came from The Guardian ironically enough and the reviewer was talking about how 
they went into it very skeptical about another adaptation, but that this was actually like the best way they could have seen it. Cool. And so I wonder if it's because they had the whole book at their disposal. Maybe, because I think that every nugget of Fitzgerald coming through Nick is important. Yeah. No, yeah, Nick, sorry. Um, because mm-hmm. he just, I love the way he tells it. It's not just narrative. Like, let's look again at Outsiders. Our first episode was so straightforward. Oh, yeah. This oh, happened, yeah. and then this, and that was a bummer, and then this happened. Like, mm-hmm. we, it was so straightforward. Mm-hmm. And this, like, I feel like Fitzgerald would like to talk about anything but the action of the play. Yes. I mean, the action of the book, not a play, Jess. Even when he gets to the end, I feel like the way that he writes what un- what unfolded with um, the car accident. Mm-hmm. And then the way he writes what unfolded in the aftermath with uh, Wilson coming to shoot Gatsby, he doesn't tell those, st- Nick doesn't tell those stories in a straightforward way. No, he, he describes the feelings and then mentions, oh, by the way, Gatsby is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I feel like it's really poignant, his last meeting with Gatsby and um, the last thing he says to him is actually a compliment. And he and Nick talks about how he's glad that he said that to him because he had been so back and forth with how he felt about him. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's um, the last thing Nick says to him is, they're a rotten crowd. I shouted across the lawn, you're worth the whole damn bunch put together. I've always been glad I said that. It was the only compliment I ever gave him because I disapproved of him from beginning to end. I love that he disapproved of him, and yet he's so enamored with him. Yeah. Like, it's such a human thing to be like, well, I don't care about that. I mean, I'm going to talk about it all the fucking yeah, time. Yeah, I'm fascinated but I don't with care. it, but I don't care. I'm yeah. better than that. Exactly. So, um, but yeah. So that's what happens. Spoiler alert. Spoiler Gatsby alert. dies. And then George Wilson <laughs> kills himself, and... Because they do this whole car switcheroo thing that is ridiculous. All right. Let's stop for a second. Everyone in this book is a shitty driver. And drunk and while drunk. we're doing it. I mean, we, we meet Jordan. She's wrecked a fucking car. That first party at Gatsby, <laughs> some idiot, his wheel falls off. Fucking Tom wrecks a couple cars. These automobiles are new to us. But, but <laughs> Better just drink all the alcohol we can than get behind the wheel. To be fair, to be fair, the only pro I can see, or even like slightly silver lining, is that since automobiles were so new, there were a lot less of them on the road. True. So, I mean... There's that, uh, uh, my brain just stopped for a second. Less people on the road. Less people on the road. Uh, so like Jordan says, she's like, well, I'm a bad driver, but everyone else is a good driver and will stay out of my way. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, okay. And then they bring that back around, two bad drivers. Nice, nice moves, Jordan. That's the way to do it. Good job, Jordan. <laughs> sure, there, was, there were less people to hit on the road. Uh, granted, these people still managed to hit people. It's true. Uh, real hard. <laughs> to death. Uh, no, but we've but we've reached the point in the story where, let's face it, everybody knows about everything. Tom is no f- dummy and has caught Daisy and Gatsby making eyes at each other every and chance they can get. And calls it out. At least he calls and, it out. Yep. So they're at they're at da- they're at the Buchanan house to have some lunch or whatever they all do. I feel like all these people do is like have meals that they don't actually eat. Um, and drink. <laughs> I'm going to look at a sandwich and drink a, ja- a glass of gin. And um, Gatsby's getting to the point where he also is getting antsy and wants Daisy to, to just leave Tom already. And not just leave. He wants her to say, I never loved you. Yeah. That's like, a big key to that's him. A key to Gatsby. He needs Daisy to tell Tom she never loved him. That the him. only reason you were in the picture is because I was gone and she was trying to figure out how to live without me. I love him. And I'm like, oh, but no, I think he is, she is really that shallow, Jay. She really does suck that much, Jay. Yeah. Uh, so, since they're all hammered and angry, why not drive <laughs> into the city? That's a great idea. <laughs> but, but also, in, instead of just driving to the city, why don't we drive each other's cars? Um, and so Tom comes up with these whole shenanigans of like, I'm now, I think that he wanted to do it because it was low on gas and he wanted an excuse to stop at the Wilsons. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, don't they mention like, oh, my car doesn't have a whole lot of gas. Yep. Also, okay. I'll stop on the way. So that he's like, that's cool. I'll stop at the gas station. Mm-hmm. I know that place pretty well. So he sends Gatsby and Daisy. He just, his- <laughs> we've just discussed that. This is the man trying to steal my wife away. Why don't I put her in the car with him? Yeah, he's like, Daisy, you should leave. Don't worry, Gatsby won't bother you. Um, 
What? And sends them off to the plaza. Yeah, so go. Bye. Yeah, get a head start at the oh, wait, hotel sorry, without us. We're on the we're on the journey to New York. Yeah, I was on the journey York. home. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I got to excited. Um, Cuz that bitch gets run over. Yeah. And uh Anyways, they all end up at the plaza having a drunken argument. Then they all leave the plaza and then Davy now Daisy is driving Gatsby's car. And Myrtle they drive through the part of town where the Wilsons live. Okay, Daisy's driving Gatsby's car because Daisy says to Gatsby, "I'm, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm nervous. I think having driving a car will calm me down. A car will calm me. Don't no. It's the opposite of that. It's the fucking opposite of that. If you idiots don't drive a car to calm you down. It's just more stressful. Jessica and I are not doctors, but this is a public service announcement. If you need to calm down, don't drive. Don't get behind the wheel. No, that's common fucking sense." Um, so uh. to calm her anxiety, she decides to drive, and they're driving through town, and Myrtle runs out into the road because she think because earlier when they came through in that car, mm-hmm. Tom was in it. Yep, with Jordan and uh, Nick. Nick, and uh, Myrtle saw them out the window and thought Jordan was Daisy, right. which is a little detail that didn't really pay off anywhere. Right. I thought something big was going to come of that. So now Myrtle's running out into the road because she probably thinks it's Tom and, and wants she, to stop him. And she did shout at her husband. Like, she and her husband had a, yes, had a they fight. had a little argument. And, like, the guy who worked for them or whatever next door overheard. Mm-hmm. And Myrtle just goes running out into the road and, well, bam. Daisy hits her. Daisy just plows And then right is like, my her. bad, and keeps driving. Keeps going. Because <laughs> she's a shitty, shitty human. <laughs> So Myrtle's dead in the road. Along comes fucking Tom. In the other car. In the other car. Tom and Jordan and Nick. Nick. And discover the body of... And it's bad. That description of... Like it ripped her open or something. Yeah, it is bad. It is bad. So So she's definitely dead. She's dead. That's the other thing too. Doesn't he... Tom like wraps her up and... They bring her inside, and I think there's even a moment where he's, like, weeping over her body a little bit. I and think for some reason, George Wilson still doesn't, doesn't put two and two together. No. He's Come like, on. well, that other car hit her, so that must be who she was having an affair with. Yeah. What? What? George Wilson is so <laughs> milk toast. Like, he doesn't do anything. George Wilson is, um, oh, what's-his-face from Chicago? Uh, totally cellophane. Mr. Cellophane. Oh, my he's God. He's Mr. Cellophane. Yeah, he jumps to all the wrong conclusions. I mean, Tom... Tom could be wearing a sign that says, I am fucking your wife. And George would be like, whoa. Well, that Gatsby look. fella. Well, Gatsby. <laughs> and then um, everybody ends up back at their ho- at uh, the house. And there's this moment that bums me out so hard. Because you can tell that Tom and Daisy are like, I called it the cold fried chicken conspiracy. Clearly like, covering they're gonna cover each other's asses and lie about her driving the car and they never talk to Gatsby about it and they pretty much hang him out to dry and like Gatsby's outside their house lurking and like he's like Nick go look in the window it's so sad he's waiting there like he's gonna save Daisy he's like does she need me what can I do and she, she must be upset. Like, what do? How do I help? And she's sitting in the kitchen, holding hands with Tom, like not eating fried chicken and talking about how they're gonna get out of it. Like they're having like an. That's the essence of Tom and Daisy. Like they're mm-hmm. both shitheads who go off and have affairs and treat each other badly. But like when push comes to shove, they are a unit. They're still. on the same team. Mm-hmm. They are on team shithead. Because let's face it, if she really wanted to leave, she could have been gone already this yep. this all did not even need to happen nope if that's really what she wanted she liked the attention mm-hmm. that was all oh yeah and by the way they have a child that you never see no yeah she comes in at some point that and they're like <laughs> get out of here pammy <laughs> pammy and gatsby keeps looking at the child with surprise that Gerald says like oh that's a real baby you really do have one of those uh yeah there is one thing that um i think one of my favorite lines in the whole book is the way that he describes um, Daisy's voice uh, when he says, uh, or they're they're talking about, they're like, let's get away from here, and when they're talking about maybe going to the city, and before all of the shit goes down with the car accident, and it's this moment where I feel like it's Gatsby finally 
he's admitting that he knows she's a shitty person, mm-hmm. I think. Where um, Nick says uh, her voice is very indiscreet, and he says it, it's made of money. Her voice is her voice sounds like money or her voice is made of money. I want to find it because I need to read it exactly right. But I feel like that is so key. Mm-hmm. Like that's the key to her character right there. Yeah. She's in, in, intoxicated by money. She's intoxicated because she comes from money. I, the people in this book fascinate me because Daisy is as essentially worthless. Right. Like she doesn't do anything. She, she's pretty. She's well-dressed. She drove a white car when she was young or whatever, but like, she, there's something that's magically intoxicating about her that everybody's drawn mm-hmm. to. And the same a bit with Tom. Like, Nick smells him for what he is immediately. But why are women so attracted to Tom? Why Why is this, this allure hanging around both of them? Because both of them are awful people who are very attractive to others. Yes. And so is it that human quality of um, there's something sexy and appealing about wanting something so unattainable mm-hmm. or or wanting these like beautiful shiny things I don't know um but yeah they in a way they totally deserve each other mm-hmm. it's probably a good thing that they're together yeah they're pretty much a match made in heaven I found it uh, so yes it's right before they're about to get into the cars and go into the city and uh Nick is talking to Gatsby privately for a moment, and um, Nick says, she's got an indiscreet voice, I remarked. It's full of, I hesitated. Her voice is full of money, he said suddenly. And that was it. I'd never understood before. It was full of money. That was the inexhaustible charm that rose and fell in it, the jingle of it, the cymbal song of it. High in a white palace, the king's daughter, the golden girl. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. That's accurate. That's 100% Daisy. Yep. Uh, but I wanted to go talk about that golden girl thing because when yes, you had the Lerman version on when I came over, mm-hmm. and Carrie Mulligan is a very blonde Daisy. But in the book, we have that whole moment where Tom is talking about, like, being Nordic and how great it is to be of Nordic descent and blonde hair, blue eyed, fucking Aryan, whatever. And he looks over at Daisy and hesitates to include her in that Nordicness. And I was like, that's weird. And then at the towards the end of the book, Daisy's described as dark haired or brunette. Because mm-hmm, he says something that Gatsby like leaned his head on her dark hair. Mm-hmm. Or like there's something about her dark hair. And that was the first time I ever thought she was her hair color was mentioned because I had been picturing her gold and light yep. the whole time. And yep. I was like, huh. That is interesting. And I wonder, so the whole golden, the golden girl, I was reading a little bit about how um, F. Scott Fitzgerald loosely based the character of Daisy on his own wife, Zelda. Mm-hmm. And when I looked a little bit more into who Zelda was, one of the first descriptions of her was that she was the golden girl of her neighborhood. And it sounds like she had a very similar, like an, a very rich upbringing, whereas mm-hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald did not. And I think that that might be the thing he was writing about was his way of That's cool. whatever he had to attain to get Zelda. There must be some parallels there. But I thought that was interesting, that that golden girl phrase um, came up. And Zelda Fitzgerald was, had dark hair, too. So, hmm, who knows? Interesting. Uh, yes. You, do you want to give me your discussion question? Or I would love to. Yeah. So, for me, I feel like Nick is the catalyst of this story in many ways. Like Gatsby has found him and now is able to contact him and say, okay, you know Daisy, let's get her over here for tea. If there was never that catalyst, do you think that Gatsby would have just stayed and pined away forever? Or do you think he would have eventually found a way to approach Daisy again? I think that the end of the story is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And I think if it wasn't through Nick, it would have been through somebody else. Like he might have waited longer um, he would might have found a different way to get her over to West Egg. But I think that had Nick not stumbled in there, the story would have played out the same way. And I think it always ends in tragedy, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever a scenario where Daisy runs away from Tom. No. No. The, all, uh, uh, the only scenario I could think of is if Gatsby waited long enough for Tom to just die. Like, had Tom died in a horseback riding accident, <laughs> right. uh, Daisy might have acquiesced to go with Gatsby. But I don't know. She's kind of awful. Maybe she wouldn't have. Maybe mm-hmm. she would have. What do you think? I, just given the descriptions of his behavior and his character, 
I think he needed that. I think he needed something that was an excuse. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have approached her on his own until he had like that final piece that was a reason for him to, or another person that could help him. I don't think he was brave enough to do it, which is one of the things that is so interesting about him. Is that funny? He does everything that he needs Mm -hmm. to to get her affection. Except. Except see her. Right. Except talk to her. It's. Right. I think he would have gotten gotten the guts eventually. Yeah. But you don't. You think he would have. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I feel like, I don't know. I feel like he just was kind of trapped in his own fancy house. <laughs> and it was a fancy house. Yeah. Um, so my question for you, my disc question, is uh, but Gatsby fakes a life. Like, you know, he doesn't do it. He doesn't steal a life, but he builds his own life and fakes it. Like, he's this Oxford man who's a businessman, comes from money, and he fakes his way into a wealthy existence on Long Island Sound. If you had to fake a life, <laughs> what life would you fake? <sighs> so my first instinct is to say something, um, faking some sort of, intellectual life for myself uh-huh. but that's also very hard to fake it's true it's provable right let's uh, say there's no internet let's say you, we can go back in time and nobody can google you to prove okay, that then, you yeah, write then this I, book. I think I would um, put myself on some sort of track where I'm kind of this like woman of mystery but who's also incredibly knowledgeable and uh, yeah it's like what does she do everything <laughs> Just kind of the the jack of all trades, like, but, but that, yeah, that would involve some sort of, I would have to have some actual expertise, but I think if I could fake it, yeah. Yeah, I think that the the faking your history is just so interesting, like, Mm -hmm. because Gatsby gets to build his own life backwards, like his dad who came at the end was a simple sort of man who's just like, that's my boy. Right, and if I could say I was some, like... I'm some, you know, legacy. My whole family goes back to generations in Harvard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they founded that school. Wasn't Gatsby a Yale man? No, he's not Oxford. Oxford, Oxford, in which they looked down upon because they were Yaleys. Yes, they Which did. I think, I I feel like that's, like, I know it came from the boat guy, but I think that that's part of the reason he says old sport all the time, is he wants to look like he fits in with the Ivy Leagues. I love the old sport. Oh, old sport. Old sport. That's right, old sport. Yeah, so I think I would fake some sort of extreme intellectual life for myself. Mm. How about you? I, I think I would fake a a, a more well traveled life. I would I would be the person who invented the thing. Like, oh well, I grew up in Luxembourg, but then I moved to Paris from ages four to eight, and after <laughs> that, I went around the continent. I, I'm so interested by people who have been places yes. and seen, but existed like not as a tourist, but like a. My father is an architect, and we had to go build a building in Beijing for three years. Those right. people fascinate me, like yeah. well-traveled, who have seen the world and have interesting stories. That's a good one. I like it. Yeah, that's my, fa- that's my fakiness. Uh, why do we read this? Well, you know, it, I was having a hard time kind of trying to figure that out. And then um, my same friend who teaches it she said something that I really thought was interesting she said that um in her whole time teaching that this was one of the books that her students would always become the most emotionally invested in Hmm. um that they love the glitz of the 20s but more than that they love the complicated relationships and the way that Gatsby is pining for a person who they don't see really exists and that in 15 years, she's never seen her students have a stronger connection with the book than they do with Gatsby. Wow. So thinking on that, maybe maybe that's why we read it, is it's kind of a way of peeling back the layers of what can all be on the surface, mm-hmm. but we're still trying to get to the true relationship that's underneath. And then also, I just feel like F. Scott Fitzgerald's an important writer to have read, and this is his classic so well I think too I, I agree with everything you said I think it, all that glistens isn't gold might be the moral of teaching this mm-hmm. like when you're in high school you're so influenced by people's like money's money's people's money's but like the popular girls always have the nice cars and the best clothes and when we're growing up we look at that when I mean, we see a 
possessions as, you know, a way to measure worth. And I think this is a way of almost cutting through some of that popularity bullshit in high school. Yeah. Um, and being like, hey, those those people who have everything, they might be actual shitheads. Be mm-hmm. better. Um, but also as a, like a reader or a writer, this book kind of gives a young artist permission to break all the rules. Yeah. I mean, this isn't written, this isn't your standard narrative. This Mm-mm. isn't an outline of how to write a book. This is F. Scott being like, uh, you want to sh- see how I write a book? This is how I write yeah, a book. Yeah, we don't have to tell this in a linear or, I mean, it is linear, but we don't have to tell this in a straightforward way. He jumps around. He goes off on lavish descriptions for a while. He talks around things. It's mm-hmm. such an indirect way of writing, and I love it. And I think it's okay sometimes that to read and see perspectives of characters who aren't redeemable people mm-hmm. because that's life <laughs> most people really suck yeah um so I think it is important to read and I'm I'm glad I had to read it and it's one that I still enjoy reading yeah well I'll probably I'm probably gonna go back through and take another crack at it just because I read it fast right to do the pod and I was like I want to go back and savor now reading for this podcast does have a very different rhythm than when I'm just reading for myself <laughs> go 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 <laughs> we gotta talk about it now oh shit so yeah I think um, I think that about covers. Yeah, but uh, we... The world of the 20s. We're going further back in time. Um, oh, yeah, way back. Way, way back for our next book. Taking it way back. We're taking it way back to the Middle West of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not New York City, it's the Middle West. Our second play script of the podcast. Uh, we're going to look at Arthur Miller's The Crucible for the next episode. Yes. Which Lord and I have both been in. Yes. Wait, who are you? I was Abigail's understudy, I don't want to talk about it, and one of the other girls. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's a lot. It, yeah. We're going to hear that on the next episode. We're going to make <laughs> And Lauren you were Abigail for reals. I was for reals Abigail, and I was real bad. No, you uh, weren't. Uh, yeah, I don't. A lot. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Crucible, so if you have Crucible stories, uh, send them our way. Do you think one of your neighbors is a witch? Tell uh, us about it. Yeah, ooh. If you have any witches to call out, we would really appreciate you to tweet at us. Uh, hashtag RRReviews or hashtag RRCrucible. And let us know who in your life is a witch. Hashtag Goody, insert name here, is a witch. Um, <laughs> but for now, in the world of F. Scott Fitzgerald anyway, uh, hey, uh, stay gold, Myrtle. Uh, stay gold, tiny dog. <laughs> stay gold, old sport. Stay gold, George Wilson. <laughs> Stay gold, Tom Buchanan, you piece of shit racist. Uh, stay gold, all you sad, sad people living in Ashtown. Yeah. Stay gold, baby Pammy. Stay gold, Jessica. Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay gold, bookworms! This has been a Sex Pot Comedy Joint. Collaborative, community-driven comedy produced by Andy Jewett and Kayvon Kalitvari. Headquartered in Denver, Colorado, with technical support from Isaac Miller. Every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you. Until next time, be well, friends. <laughs> <laughs>